Welcome to the new Cyber Frontier, bringing you the latest news and initiatives that focus on the development of cybersecurity economics. You don't have to be a computer or cybersecurity expert to get plugged in. Your host brings it straightforward, asks the tough questions, and brings the cyber world to a level of understanding for everyone. You can find us on the web at www.newcyberfrontier.com. Now join our host as he introduces the topic for today's New Cyber Frontier. Welcome, everybody, to New Cyber Frontier. My name is Tim Montgomery. I'm your host. And today we're here with uh, a gentleman, Mohammed. And what did you say your last name for me? Alani. Alani. Ah, thank you, sir. Um, if you would, please introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, what are some of the topics uh, that you might want to explore today? Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Timothy, for the invitation. And uh, my name is Mohammed Alani. Um, I'm a father of two and a cybersecurity professor at Seneca College in Toronto, uh, Canada. Um, I have uh, been in the cybersecurity area for about 15 years now. I've worked in uh, six, five or six different countries in the past 15 years. And uh, got a lot of opportunities to make to to meet great people like yourself and uh, get to know a lot about the uh, the uh, um, profession in different areas around the world and uh, I've uh, also done some research in cybersecurity I've authored uh, four books in different areas of networking and security and uh, got my PhD back in 2007 yes I still remember that so uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's been it's been some time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's good. Uh, it's good to meet you there. Um, and yeah, it's always always good to have another individual in our profession, uh, education and background, and uh, you know the things you have. You seem to uh, pretty flourish pretty well there. Um, so it's always good to see another individual uh, coming in to contribute to the profession. I I'm always about expanding uh, our field in cybersecurity, so it's my passion as well. So. Um, I mean, you you talked about uh, you were talking a little bit about how moving from country to country. Did you what did you see in your in your background as you went from country to country? Some of the concepts in cybersecurity. I mean, I, I'm sure that you've seen a different different asset sets, resources, things like that that they use from country to country that was you know different from each other. And so, I mean, what did you see as far as the effects on each one of those countries? I mean, did you know, from one extreme you know. to the other or how did that look to you, perspective-wise? Uh, well, it, it was a great experience for me to see different perspectives on different countries and how they look uh, on cybersecurity, what's their take on cybersecurity and how interested they are in, in cybersecurity. And uh, uh, I think it's it's really different how, you know, countries' culture impact how they perceive cybersecurity, how they perceive risks and how they handle these risks. And I have seen countries where um, I should say the risk appetite of institutions is very high, where they just, you know, they, they read about the, the incidents that happen all around the world and they think that these incidents wouldn't happen to them. Right. And I've seen the, the other side of the, of the coin where you have uh, countries who are super focused on risk assessment and, you know, doing all the due diligence of cybersecurity and getting the right people. And uh, these are these are the countries that um, that see the shortage of the uh, manpower and, and 
cybersecurity very well because they understand how much they need it and how many people they need there. So they they have a much stronger realization of, of the shortage of, uh, of talents. Yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Um, yeah, and that, that really that transposes into the concept of uh, why we need the education, right? Why, why, the, why we need a program, why universities need to be more heavily sound about the curriculum set, why we just, in my opinion, is, is not just have an emphasis in cybersecurity with a science degree or computer science degree, but actually have the actual branch where there's cybersecurity, where it's doing development and doing research focused into cybersecurity. They, my perspective, I, I come from a background of, of uh, being a professor myself. So uh, I've seen the trend go from one to the other. In today's society, we're getting more of uh, just computer science and then focusing on some classes about cybersecurity. So, I mean, from your perspective, I, and you, you've gone to, what, have you gone from more than one university now, right? So, um, so from your perspective, what, is, what have you seen as far as education and curriculum uh, that you think is sound um, versus something that you probably think needs worked on some kind as far as what you've well, seen in your experience? Uh, that, that's actually a great question, uh, Timothy. And uh, we always talk about the gap between academia and, and the professional life. And uh, we have been talking about this for a really long time. And in cybersecurity, this gap seems to be um, much more apparent because um, the, the, what's being taught in, in universities is heavily focused on theory, which is great, but it also needs to be more, you know, directed towards practice. And we need people who, uh, you know, with the, with the current requirements of jobs, and, and we'll talk about employers in a, in a moment, but um, with the current requirements, they, they prefer people who can, you know, hit the floor running. Uh, people yeah. who can can be directly engaged in in security operations and can d- directly help, and that's not easy to achieve on on the side of, of educational institutions. And I think that the, the focus needs to shift to towards practical aspects, and yeah. uh, including more and more practice labs, and you know yeah, having students that. involved in in capture the flag contests and, and involving in you know, splitting the, the class into defensive and offensive teams and, and doing some activities that would, would attract the students. I think one of the challenges that we face in education in general and in cybersecurity in specific is that previously when we were students, what what was competing for our, our attention was a couple of TV channels and maybe some comic books and that's yeah. <laughs> it. But now as educators, we're actually competing with Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, yeah. uh, you know, all of these social media and all okay. of the different things that, you know, pull the attention away from education. So uh, what we need to do, we just need to focus on making education fun and yeah. interesting and engaging so that students would be, uh, would be more, you know, more interested in, in actually learning. It's not just about ticking the box of having a, a college degree and that's it. I think that that needs to be the focus and not just in cybersecurity, but in, in education as a whole. Yeah, you're right. Um, 
So, Mahama, we're gonna we're gonna take a break, um, and we'll be right back after we hear from our sponsors. Blockframe Technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and I'm here today with a professor from, is that Sina? Seneca. Seneca. Ah, Mohammed. So, and we were talking about before the break there, um, just the concept of where the challenges is for, uh, as we as professors would, uh, what we're what we're dealing with as far as scale of getting the interest of a student to stay involved, at least in the cybersecurity realm, uh, as far as the curriculum. But I'm I'm 100% with you about the concept behind making it more interactive. Um, even as a student myself, I prefer to have more interaction, labs, participation, hands-on, be able to build it myself, build it out myself. I also think that the capabilities of IT gives us that ability to do such things. So I think the engine's there, you know, the platform's there, and I think it's doable. I think we need to get on board about how, uh, well, universities and such can deploy mechanisms uh, to interact with their curriculum uh, more efficiently. So I think there there is a gap that can be filled um, uh, as far as how the, how at least for curriculum for cybersecurity. Um, now, I know that... Um, I have in the past, uh, I've worked for other companies and there are companies that are coming along aside universities. Have you had any experience with um, like, uh, well, something called HackerU, they've turned into another company now, but what they do is they they uh, provide an eight month course for undergrads alongside their uh, universal uh, curriculum to support labs and going over what they would see as a, a uh, analysis for gap for um, to actually um, get that person individually more ready to start a job versus, you know, just like you said, that concept of making sure the undergrad checks the box, um, that, that curriculum checks the box per se, as far as methods and theory, uh, which we all know doesn't translate always as well in today's society as far as being able to go to work every day like the common person uh, would need in order to start a job in a beginner level, uh, which then kind of makes that gap where a student has a problem now and got an undergrad degree, but then, you know, that influence is not there for that interactiveness. So, I mean, do you, have you seen that before where we've got other groups, other third party um, vendors, things of that nature, where they've come in and started to introduce that into, uh, into your curriculum or into the university, you've seen that where you get that support? Yes. Yeah, uh, definitely. And, and, uh, more than one of the previous places that I worked in, uh, we had interactions with vendors who were offering to contribute to uh, the syllabus and the content of courses. Uh, and, and sometimes large organizations, sometimes uh, institutions that issue certifications. And uh, 
it really depends on the, the educational institution and what they want to do and what they want to achieve. I have seen several um, colleges and universities who have had this kind of um, collaboration and um, most of the time it ends up being very useful to students. Uh, any kind of change to this, the, you know, the uh, current situation in terms of, of kind of practical uh, learning is going to help the students. Uh, some universities have taken the direction of uh, adopting some curriculum from some industrial certifications, which can be, you know, it can work well for, if, if you choose these certifications carefully. Uh, other institutions have uh, chose, you know, partnerships with vendors that would provide some labs and sometimes even trainers that come from the field, which can be very useful to, to um, give some experience, to pass on some experience to students. So it really depends on what the institution wants to achieve. I think the first step is to uh, realize that something needs to be done in dynamic areas like cybersecurity. Something needs to be done so that you can provide education that truly serves the students and the, the um, employers at the end. Yeah, you're right. I think, um, and I don't know where, you know, most universities would fall, but um, they've got a, there's concepts all over the board as far as what the curriculum breaks down as. And um, at least for my, my two cents in the game, um, and my experience is, and well, I'm sure you well know that, you know, not all universities have caught on to some of these things, but it definitely needs the, the participative part, the part where you interact needs to be more interwoven, not only, I would say, not only in um, the cybersecurity world, but also into the business uh, perspective. And that gets into finance and accounting. Um, so I, I, like you said, the, the new audience that, uh, the students that are coming in, um, and the way we interact, um, that's, that perspective is changing too. You've got generational differences among age groups, uh, that you, depending on what your age groups are when you teach, uh, as the way they'll, what they feel is proper and, uh, you know, their method for being able to grasp the knowledge. So, um, I definitely think that, like I said, it goes back to that vision of having that balance behind the theory method, being able to get that across as most institutions, uh, definitely research institutions will want to evolve uh, along with that practical application that will grasp, you know, grasp the, the intriguingness, the, the, uh, the audience itself, get their, get their attention. Um, I'm, I've always favored the, the VM, you know, the labs. I love the labs. If you can, especially today with emulations, um, and I don't know about you, but those can be reset over and over and over if you set them up right. Yep. Um, and it, it makes it easy for an instructor, a uh, professor to do their jobs consistently, uh, teaching the same set of standards. Uh, but it takes an, a good rigorous infrastructure. So when you're talking about vendors being supportive, um, they, you know, and I, I'm sure that this, the vendors in their own infinite idea that they've got their own training scenarios that they want to teach their product. Um, so, I mean, the biggest challenge here is trying to get a platform usable by all industries standard wise uh, and to get into that concept of, I mean, we have the capabilities, the cloud product 
is it certainly something we could venture into as far as professor or university. Um, it's just getting the, the, the acknowledgement from the university uh, to, you know, kind of play that direction with the curriculum. I mean, do you see trends coming along that you in perception that that might allude to something changing as far as the universities that you've been able to be in contact with and what they're doing? Well, uh, I have seen that some universities um, around the world, not only in North America, that are taking serious steps. And uh, I've noticed some universities in Australia, for example, have developed their own cyber range where students can, you know, practice all sorts of, you know, hacking and experimental tools and um, a lot of uh, a lot of things. But uh, uh, in North America as well, there have been a few universities that have built their own cyber ranges where, <coughs> sorry, students can can practice and can <coughs> sorry, and can uh, uh, can use the tools and and get some some exposure to to what happens in the real world. And I think that's that's a good start. That um, perhaps we can sometime soon, hopefully, see uh, some of the large universities working together to build. You know, collaborative platforms where uh, all sides can benefit. You know, because if you build a, a cyber range in universities, you really don't have a large number of cybersecurity students that is to them financially worth to to build something that's specifically tailored for for cybersecurity. But it might be a good idea for universities to work collaboratively on that so that. We can see, uh, you know, uh, a group of five or six universities building a cyber range um, on a cloud platform, as you mentioned, to uh, to have that available for all of their students. And I think that that is not that that's a very cost-effective way of doing things. Yeah. And um, I think that universities can really benefit from doing this. Do you think um, globally, uh, cybersecurity as a perception as curriculum standardized across? universities that are in different uh, countries, you think there's a benefit to standardizing uh, the way the curriculum is set up, or do you think there's more benefit to diversify? Well, I think um, the, the perception and the, the, the readiness of different countries are very different. And mm -hmm. Uh, I think that it would be more useful if we see things that are, you know, more contextualized to, to the country's context and, and uh, address the, the uh, situation of the country. We have seen, you know, um, many countries around the world, uh, the cloud is not the number one platform for them for service delivery. So yeah. they need to focus on kind of a different type of, of threats and attacks. And in other countries, uh, you see, uh, clouds are dominant and you need to take you know serious thought about protecting data on the cloud so i think probably uh, standardizing it maybe standardizing the general uh, ideas behind it like the, you can kind of think of a baseline where everyone needs to look at this and then they can branch out to what each country uh, needs and uh, customize it yeah exactly exactly and uh, you know according to statistics um some countries suffer from specific types of attacks more than other countries. So yeah, you can yeah, see, for example, ransomware attacks, number one country in 2021 uh, was India. And, um, you know, 
malware attacks, for example, uh, number one country uh, was uh, the United States. And, yeah. you know, different types of, of attacks require different type of uh, of uh, defense as well. So Yeah, educating your customer. Yeah, I think that the, the country context needs to be taken into consideration when, when uh, preparing a cybersecurity program or education. Yeah, so, I mean, that would mean we'll give away the things like uh, – like Coursera, Coursera's got, you can get uh, in the United States, you can go to Coursera, you can actually take the curriculum of universities that are in different countries uh, and get degrees um, from there. And, you know, it's kind of a pay-as-you-go type of thing. Some of them are interactive, some of them are self-paced. Uh, but the concept of Coursera there um, has a unique way of presenting universities that are from different countries and, and me and being in an individual from the United States versus from England or from China or Japan or, you know, the other countries in India, uh, they're advertising, you know, their university uh, institution uh, to provide, you know, that curriculum set. So, um, and it, it has a, a unique take, especially, I mean, when you get into like the UK's uh, just difference of language too. So uh, their take on business, their take on uh, just how uniquely they are different from the United States and the, their perspectives of business and, uh, and, you know, cyber security aligns to those objectives. So I can see how that supportively will be can have taken an effect for customization uh, and support those, that perspective of differences. Um, so you, you actually, um, and, and so in cybersecurity in a lot of ways, when we get into uh, the need for employment, um, we were talking, we're going to get into that a little bit here um, and talking about how the, the professional in our field, we, there is a gap um, and, and it's, it's growing uh, most of the time. I don't know if the uh, ISC squared, it's 2020, I think I showed that um, on, on at least in the, our region in the U.S., it shrank a little bit, um, but it's still big. It's still like up in the 500, 600,000 people range of a gap the need for cybersecurity professionals. Um, so, and then we talked a little bit about the gap of, of, uh, of education as far as readiness for that professional to jump right into, right into um, the job itself. Um, so, I mean, the concept here is how do we get to that point where we can, I mean, ready go? How can the universities help us get ready go? Um, my perspective, and I internships was a big factor. The use of other corporations supporting, um, bringing those students on, interacting with the, um, having a group that actually interacts with the university uh, that implies to because every university has a you know financial aid office and has uh, your your federal work study component um, that applies to students getting jobs. So there's always an office there to, to interact with, to set these things up with. And so I did, we did do a lot of uh, experience or I've had experience with Jacobs doing, uh, working with CTU and bringing students in to get them a clearance and, and providing education to get them that uh, a certification in the process and working through a place called SecureSet to do that exact thing we're talking about now. Um, so what is your take on your perspective on your and universities? And I know you've probably had a couple there and, and 
Um, and we'll talk a little bit about how that differs from country to country. Um, so what's your take on the concept behind how do we get to that point where we can get the student what they need? We talked a little bit about how educational institutions could develop this into their curriculum and use those platforms like cloud. And then how do you pick up a job? I mean, how does a student get to that end point of I'm going to go work tomorrow? You know, do you think universities should be helping them do that? Well, uh, I think you, you mentioned the, the keyword uh, of the answer here, which is uh, internships. Uh, I think internships are, uh, are a very powerful way of exposing students to, uh, to the real world and uh, getting them more and more ready to, to join jobs immediately upon graduation. Uh, cybersecurity specifically faces some challenges in terms of um, internships for several reasons. Um, one of them are some, sometimes some places require certain security clearances, which is something that employers wouldn't really want to bother with for an intern. They would you know, do it for you if you're going to work with them, but yeah. it's, it's a lot of work, a lot of bureaucracy goes beyond, behind the, the scenes to get these security clearances. And oh, yeah. it's just not worth it for employers to, to do it for interns. That's one challenge. A second challenge is that uh, many employers, even those who do not require uh, security clearance, they would say that, you know, I, I just, it's not worth it to me to get someone for six months and train them and teach them. And then they yeah. get an offer in, you know, Google or IBM or somewhere yeah. and they leave. Yeah. And it's not worth it, especially for medium, small size uh, businesses. And, um, you know, at cybersecurity, it's a, it's a lot of responsibility. So employers think about how much do we want to, uh, you know, how much space do we want to give for interns in something as critical as cybersecurity. Yeah. And some points are, are you know, are uh, to consider that, you know, some things are valid points. Sometimes they have um, invalid um, kind of expectations. And, you know, when you look at, I'm, I'm sure you've talked in, in, about this in, in so many times, when you look at job advertisements for cybersecurity, you find out that all employers are looking for unicorns, for someone who has, yeah. Yeah. you know, 10 years of experience in a technology that was found five years ago. And yeah. they have to have CISSP for an, an entry-level job. And, you know, it's just, it's yeah, getting really ridiculous in some of these advertisements. And um, this kind of, you know, the problem, the, the origin of the problem is that many organizations have fought the idea of having cybersecurity personnel. They, whenever you ask them who is in charge of your cybersecurity, they would point to the IT service guy. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, <laughs> he does everything, that's right? a misconception that's very popular in many, especially smaller businesses. And until we got to the point where people are finally convinced that they need cybersecurity professionals and it's not just another IT job, yeah. Um, we, they, you know, when you have like 100 employees and you get five people working in your IT department, you can barely afford to get one person as a cybersecurity person in your team. Yeah. And when they advertise for that position, they want someone who can do everything cybersecurity. And that's just doesn't make sense. You know, there, are, there is a lot to do possible. in cybersecurity. Yeah, to be certified in everything under the sun exactly. and then. 
exactly. I'm going to pay you half the price. That exactly. Yeah, exactly. because they're not fully convinced that they needed this cybersecurity person, but just because the IT manager is really pushing hard to get someone in cybersecurity, yeah. so they pay half the the normal pay, and they want you to do twice the job, and it just doesn't make sense. No, yeah, it's it's un, not doable in a lot of ways too. So, and, and at least my experience is, it's, you're setting that individual up for failure. Is what's happening? Exactly. That's exactly. what you're doing. So. Yeah, and, and, and one, one thing to uh, to mention here is the reliance of um, employers on certifications. We, uh, you know, myself as a professor, I encourage my students to take certification exams. I think that they help in kind of validating the, the knowledge and skills that they have. Yeah. Uh, of course, not all exams are this way. Some exams are just more focused on, on memorizing rather than, you know, having an actual skill yeah but there are thank god there are now a lot of exams that are focused more on practical skills and they're more focused on, on you know being the whole the whole exam being a practical exam but um, i feel that some employers might be kind of misusing uh certifications because in, in some scenarios i have seen employers use the certification as kind of a proxy instead of a, a rigid hiring process. Yeah, so instead of right. actually evaluating the skills of people, I rely on you know asking for CISSP, whatever security plus, whatever tick boxes that my HR manager knows, they yeah. would tick and they would say, this is what we need. And, and this just, it shows that uh, there is some sort of uh, I don't want to say laziness, but I just can't find another word <laughs> on the side of some. There's, a, there's a shortfall for understanding the depth of it. Um, yeah. I think you're right. Lazy, laziness is a term. Um, might be a little harsh, but uh, nonetheless, you're right. They're, they're, they're not doing the homework, right? Exactly. They're just not doing exactly. it. And they need it now. And I realize, we all realize, I've been higher managing myself. Uh, I've been through the process of internships, bringing them on and what it means to get them a job and going through that process of actually having to write a policy. Um, I've done that before myself. Uh, and then being the instructor and the and a professor on that side of it, helping students get in through the workforce and uh, the different stages that they could possibly go through. So I the rigor uh, is there and the time isn't there. It's uh, it's the same concept of interviewing is you got like, you got people that work really hard on their resume. And then you got like, the hiring manager gets about 10 seconds to stare at this thing. And that's, that's honest truth. And if you've got 50, 60, 80 applicants, now you've got to weed down. How do you do that? Uh, the HR process is not always as structured as it should be in some companies. So you, you just get into the totality. Each piece, each step a person walks through, you know, ends up being carved off or shaved off in some fashion. And eventually alludes to a failure, right? And so you get this, this same concept through through um, people not when they write a uh, when they write up some kind of rec announcement of some kind uh, to put out for a job. They they got an idea of what they really want. However, it doesn't always convey itself in the right manner in the announcement. So it can elude people, and especially those who are new, you know, new students, undergrad. So, Mama, we're going to go to a break right quick. Um, sure. We're kind of running back the trail. 
Uh, so we'll be right back after this uh, short announcement from our sponsors. BlockFrame technology offers next-generation blockchain-managed trust and security. Unique non-fungible tokens are used to secure software bills of materials to provide data quality and security for every transaction in your supply chain. Deploy advanced peer-to-peer product security, scale zero trust capability to millions of IoT devices, allow vendor tracking and accountability, and rapidly reset from compromise. Unchangeable, time-sequenced blockchain data provides next-generation security using machine learning trust algorithms and audit analytics. Start securing your supply chain today by contacting BlockFrame at www.blockframetech.com. Welcome back to New Cyber Frontier. I'm your host, Tim Montgomery, and I'm here with a professor from Sia or Sienta. Seneca. Seneca, my bad. I uh, always botch um, English languages. is an uh, ongoing thing for me. So <laughs> Sometimes uh, I um, actually am dyslexic, actually. So, anyway. so we're back, and uh, we're talking about um, just the complexities of how do you get a student from you know the, the the curriculum set of education and some of the gaps and some of the just factors that play into uh that kind of uh, compels people uh to probably not go into the field how we might be able as uh practitioners and as as university and professors how supportive uh, of some of the things that we know is needs to change in our field that could be more uh effective about um kind of recruiting people um, and we know there's a massive gap um, as far as the as far as our uh, job field goes uh, for the need for quite the professional, um, and and then just the contributing factors behind, you know what, how the organization that might be taking on an individual like such a person as a new student, uh, how those are factors that you know could evolve. Um, so, and you were mentioning the the. the the concept behind the uh, rec building, uh, and and it seems like their use of uh, doing the certifications is to put the box in there. So, if they've got one of these that have, have taken this certification, that they must have the knowledge that we need, right? Um, in my world, in the DoD world, uh, they've created an eighty-five seventy regulation that has all but said you need it or else um, type of thing, or we can't hire you and we can't give you you know, your clearance and all this other happy stuff uh, that you're going to need to do this job. And, um, you know, I, I get a lot of questions about the clearances and your, you know, your perspective on, on uh, you know, um, people from other countries trying to get a clearance, uh, at least a, a United States DOD clearance, um, which is where my expertise are um, and how that can, it can be a trial pushing and, and and individuals like organizations don't want to put up with the time and effort and the money, the, the, the resources that it takes to, to really get that person qualified uh, from that background perspective. So you'll see students that won't be eligible for certain jobs. Um, and some of those things I think need to train change. So, you know, so from what I know, you, we've talked about how, the perspective of these things are hindering our um, our field, our job field, um, and that we need to be more integrated. Uh, the practicality behind a certification, I think the context of it is there. I think that is needed. I think it needs to be integrated more so. Um, and the, the, um, the example that I think comes to mind is 
uh, the medical field and their technicians. You know, my wife was an x-ray tech, had to go to school for two years. Now, it's a vocational school, more or less, like a two-year school versus a four-year school. Although, you could do an intercombined way of doing a two-year program, let's say in community college, to a three-year perspective, which then would lean to a four-year college, which they would take everything, right? So in this state, instead of Colorado, you could do, you go to a four-year, start out in a two-year college, community college, which is cheaper, where you get your practical app, then that extends to the four-year. They take everything. They give you the more of the theory on the other perspectives. You could do this all in three years versus a four-year perspective. So that was something that the community college, at least Pikes Peak Community College, a gentleman that I worked with for a very long time, retired and was taking the reign of the cybersecurity directive over in that community college, looking to do something like that, looking to entertain and interact with you know, organizations to see if you could uh, enable people to, to come on board after you got such the background, such the education. Um, so, I mean, and so I think that's a good example. And when I, I go back to, to, um, to the healthcare industry, they, you had to have 400 hours before you get certified. So the practical app was there. You had to take a test. You had to take a written test. Sometimes you had to take an oral exam on top of that uh, to get that certification. Um, so I think there's more that can be done with the certification process. I just think it needs to be more standardized across the board as far as it, the way it's preceded, what you got to do in it. Now, I know EC Council, and I don't know if you're familiar with E. The, the CEH that's come out here, they have gone that, they have taken that to a new level and in the past year or two now. And that's become more hands-on. You got to be in a range, practical application. Um, other or other organizations like the um, ACA, uh, it's OCA, OCAS, I think it is, B. It, it, is, it, goes, yeah. Yeah, it goes into a 24-hour period of exam. So it's, it is strenuous, you know, it, it's got its constraints, but it goes into um, a lot of practical application. Like you've got to do the job, show that you can do yeah. it yeah. in a more of a fluent way to get through the, the actual testing of it and get um, certified. So, I mean, I guess you can see extremes on the certification field. I mean, the content's there, like they're, they're trying to cover the concepts. And I think we do a good job in university to do that too. I just think there needs to be more uh, standardization. And I think we need to go more towards that practicality of being able to put those hands on like it's perceived in the, uh, in, in, in the healthcare industry before you get that certification. Now, I know jobs like you could tell an organization, if you bring me on and give me the experience, you know, then I will get certified in two years, but I will do two years for you after that. So, I mean, there, there could be an advantage to how this interaction works. So, I mean, and I don't know if would that does, would that work in other countries. What's what's your perspective? Well, um, I think that many uh, organizations that issue certifications have realized the importance of, of practical side of cybersecurity, and we see a lot of uh, practical kind of tests, like uh, the one that you mentioned, CEH practical, and uh, also. Um, uh, 
exams of, of OSCP, uh, that is from eLearn Security as well, that is EJPT, uh, Junior Penetration Tester, and uh, the Blue Team also provides a, a very good range of practical yeah. uh, exams. And uh, I think these are very important, and I, I like to use this model in the courses I teach. And um, I, I, I do employ that in courses that are more focused towards practice rather than theory. I think that this is an important component to have these kind of uh, uh, exams in addition to, to the actual practice. Uh, what I have noticed in different countries and uh, um, that some countries are more focused on kind of um, importing these talents from outside rather than building, you know, your own um, talent uh, yeah. arsenal. Yeah. Just bring people from outside that are people who are ready, who are already trained, who have who have experience, and that that kind of hits your job market and it kind of um, you know pushes people away from the profession. So you'll end yeah. up with a country, you know, ten years from now. You'll have a country where uh, everyone who's working in cybersecurity is not from that country, and that that's not a good position to be in. And, uh, oh, is it? Oh, is it? Yeah, and, and yeah. looking at um, statistics uh, in in twenty twenty one, number of professionals uh, working in cybersecurity in the United States it's one point one million, which is a great number compared to ten years ago. Yeah, uh, but still, it doesn't address the whole. Gap. I, I mean, even in, in Canada, we have 124,000 uh, professionals. Yeah. But, you know, talking about the states, uh, in 10 years from now, you'll need about 1 million more people in South right. to, to be addressed, to, yeah, that's to be able to address the gap. Yeah. So it, it's not a joke. And I think that your suggestions about having maybe some sort of uh, uh, country level uh, practice certification that would might be the answer to to address the uh, doubts that the employers have. So yeah. that if someone, just like what we said, if you have, it's like the bar exam that would allow you to to practice uh, being a lawyer. Right. Uh, uh, you know, you do you can do some, something similar to in, in cybersecurity at yeah. a state level or a country level where uh, you make sure that someone who passes this exam would be having the theoretical and practical aspects that that you know that like a baseline that should be available on everyone who wants to practice this and of course there are people who would excel and go way beyond that but right. uh, i think that might be a good idea if uh if the states or or even at a country level would look into it oh you're right i that concept and yeah, it, using the the uh, analysis behind uh, comparison to um, to getting your law degree, but this is where we go back to the university needing to have a cybersecurity department versus it being a branch or group underneath your computer science department. And so I think eventually, I think it'll allude to it. I just time the timing's not quite there yet, but uh, I think it, it does leeway gives way to what we're just saying the perspective of need because think about the the perspective of uh of privacy uh how regulations work um it you know not everything in the united states is always going to work in uh different countries uk 
Austria uh, and, and European nations per se. Um, it, they have their own set of rules and regulations and the way they protect their information. So that's laws in itself. Um, so instead of having a few classes in your law degree that covers that, you literally would have cybersecurity covering all the impact of nature of law. Um, so you bring law and in perspective into cybersecurity, but your classification of all that, all the classes of curriculum, core curriculum would totally be all about cybersecurity per se. So I think that's where the, the institutions, the universities can evolve uh, to make this more practical. And I think producing it by country, yeah, you know, as you follow down, you're, you're going to be able to hone re- legislation, regulation, laws, perceptions of that, because I think cybersecurity needs that. And then you get it at that scale where uh, you actually have to do all the things that you would have to do to get a law degree. It, it would it, you would have to do the same um, depth of study or rigor of curriculum in order to essentially gain the same type of title. So I think you're right spot on about the perspective behind it uh, and how that is necessary. But we just haven't got there yet. So yeah. um, we've got we're running out of time here. So, um, you know, I guess we've got a lot about just the, the take on you know, where we're at and kind of where we think we should be going as far as institutions and how that can can provide some degree uh, for relief for, because the bottom line is getting your student, once they've got that degree, they got to get into a job. Um, So, I mean, what would you tell the audience takeaways in summary for today's session that you'd want them to know, um, you know, the, the activities, the components, the things that we've talked about? Well, I think that um, there are uh, several aspects to consider in this. I think that we need to see uh, genuine desire from universities and employers to collaborate together to kind of provide some sort of framework where, you know, universities need to um, stop being the uh, the entity that decides what needs to be taught and focus more on the market requirements and, and, and what the employers need and then build programs around that. I know yeah. that many universities do not welcome these things, but <laughs> I think uh, many others do and they have understood the, the, uh, the, the market requirements and they uh, go in the right direction in terms of what the market needs. and building programs that are more uh, directed towards the, the, the needs of the market and the employers. And yeah. this, of course, requires collaboration from employers in terms of providing internships and providing... And, and one thing I have to say about internships, I always say, please pay those people. Just don't let internships be free internships. They're doing work for you. Yeah. Pay them anything. Just It, it doesn't really make sense to to use their need of experience to, to get the work done for free. Yeah, I don't think you can do that these days, especially with the type of individual. You've got a lot of individuals coming from already given experience trying to get into the community because we need their input too, but they can't sustain their livelihood unless you pay them yeah. for the internship or they won't get the experience. It becomes the gotcha, the catch-22 in there. So. 
So it's it's amazing. So well, it was good talking to you, Mom, and uh, yeah, it's uh, always interesting and passion for another professional as we go through life and see their perspective, their take on things. I'm right there with you. I think there's some gaps in there, and there there's some need for some uh, effectiveness when it comes to uh, being able to trend individuals from you know going into college, getting into that first job. Um, certainly, some things we can do to help. Um, and I hope the industry's listening. Hope the I hope the the, the communities. I'm I'm pretty sure they are. As many people that we talk to, and, and what we're talking about today. So, so. Anyway, uh, it was good to have you, and uh, we should do this again sometime. Um, Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. Yep. And so that is it for this session of New Cyber Frontier. And then until next time, we'll see you then. And stop recording there, Max. Recording stopped. Okay. All right. Thank you, sir. Nice to meet you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to meet you. Yes. Let's stay in touch. Yes, you too. Thank you. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of New Cyber Frontier. Remember to get involved. Often we think that someone else will handle privacy and security in the virtual world, but you are the only one truly in command of your virtual fate. Join our mailing list so we can keep you informed of breaking news and new releases. If you have an idea, if you have a question that you would like to hear answered, or if you want to get involved with our efforts, reach out to us at NewCyberFrontier.com. We also encourage you to visit our sponsors' links as they are the ones that really make this show possible. I want to thank each of you for supporting the show, and we look forward to seeing you back for the next episode of New Cyber Frontier.